Sports Beat with HollywoodBets.ie, bringing all the blockbuster action to the palm of your hand. 18 plus. Gamble responsibly. See gamblingcare.ie. I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford. There's more issues than the travel. I said I just can't do it. Games go on and you don't get a goal. You start to have little questions in the back of your mind. Thanks very much, Megan, and you're very welcome back to the latest edition of the show. Today's edition is an international one as we head both stateside and stay at home for this week's Sportsbeat Extra. On this week's show, we preview both Leinster's and Munster's debut in the United Rugby Championship. My understanding is that there potentially was more money on the table to remain exclusively uh, pay-per-view, but it wasn't a significant enough amount of whereby you know you'd have to sit back and say, "Oh, we really should take take that into account." We have a lot of stability currently at Munster, something that we that we haven't had for a for a while. And, and we head to Wisconsin to hear the latest from Whistling Straits as a Europe without McElroy and Lowry aim to keep their tournament hopes alive. I really do genuinely hope for. Patrick Harrington said he was a national hero that, you know, we don't take the drug. And that's where we'll head to first, with Europe still struggling on American soil in the 43rd edition of the Ryder Cup. Dennis Kerwin is at Whistling Straits in Wisconsin and joined me earlier during the Saturday foursomes. Sports Beat with HollywoodBets.ie, the home of Hollywood Bets Super 7, the ultimate tipping challenge. 18 plus, gamble responsibly. See gamblingcare.ie. Uh, look, it's a pleasure to speak to uh, Dennis Kerwin um, from Whistling Streets as the 43rd Ryder Cup gets well into swing. Um, Europe had a difficult day yesterday, came into this morning 6 uh, 2 down, and uh, still very much on the line uh, for both teams. Dennis, I suppose, look, uh, the big story of this morning was was the the dropping of Roy McElroy and uh, Shane Lowry um, of this morning's foursomes um, and I suppose generally the, the poor play from Europe yesterday un- unusual given the fact that Patrick Harrington had said going into it that he expected this course to, to suit his players Yeah absolutely I, I, I you know I think an awful lot is made of the captaincy Kevin in relation to Ryder Cups and I suppose down through the years a lot of captaincy have a lot of the captains have gotten blamed for poor results uh, but you know the reality of it is that seven of the last eight Ryder Cups have been won by the home team so it's actually very very difficult to win a Ryder Cup on away soil the only one in all that time was the miracle of Medina in 2012 when Europe went 10-6 down there were 10-6 down going into the singles and miraculously managed to, to fashion a victory there under Jose Maria Lazabal so it's a very very difficult thing to do now this course is a ball strikers course there is no doubt about it you know you need to be on the top of your game and you need to be hitting the ball well in order to you know not end up in some very very tricky places which there are around whistling straights and in my view the european team haven't managed to do that as well as they have to be able to do it in order to beat an american team that's ranked as highly as they are this american team has an average world ranking of 8.9 and the european team has an average ranking of over 30. now there's a massive gap or gulf in class between both teams on this occasion and I think I think that has certainly uh, come to pass that the Americans are playing better than the Europeans and that is the big difference between the two teams so far and the reason Europe were so far behind on the opening day. And, and I suppose, look, the thing is, it's not just about world rankings. We were speaking to Simon Lewis from the Irish Examiner last week, and he was talking about that team spirit that Europe have that kind of get them over the line, that bit between the teeth that they carry, because I suppose the, the, the European tour is seen as the poor relation to the PGA tour, certainly in terms of the financial uh, benefit from it. Um, 
I suppose form is, is a huge thing here as well. Even when we were speaking about Roy McRoy, he's coming he's not coming into this tournament in great form. He hasn't really been in this kind of form that we were we have seen from him uh, in quite a while. So how, how how much of it is form? How much of it is that kind of teamwork not quite coming together or and what's kind of been the the takeaway from from yesterday and even today's performance thus far from Team Europe? Yeah, like form is important. And as you mentioned, team spirit also is important, Kevin. But there's only so far team spirit can get you. You need to be able to hit the ball into, you know, the middle of a fairway. You need to be able to hit greens and regulations. And you need to be able to sink a few putts. And if you can do that, then you can be a match for anybody. The Europeans haven't been able to do that. And form is a huge thing. I mean, going into this wider cup, you had Tommy Fleetwood, Tyrrell Hatton, Rory McIlroy and Matt Fitzpatrick. And none of them were shown much form. Mm. And uh, that has certainly come to pass. I mean, Rory McIlroy was very, very disappointing by his own standards yesterday. And, uh, you know, uh, it was a big call for Podrick Harrington to drop him from this morning's foursomes. But that may well have come as a result of McIlroy actually going to Podrick Harrington and saying, look, I'm really not playing that well at the moment, Podrick. I'd prefer if you sat me out in the morning. And who knows, perhaps he could sit him out as well in the afternoon. But we will we will see. That, you know, that will all be revealed at some stage in the not-too-distant future. And, you uh, you know, it's 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 quite possible that he might ask to have been benched. With Shane Lowry, Shane Lowry was probably never going to get more than three games in this Ryder Cup as a rookie anyway. Mm. And he played yesterday. He did okay, Kevin, for the first few holes. He had a couple of birdies in his first four holes, and he was really getting into it. But he wasn't helped by a lackluster Rory McIlroy. And it was just one of those things, you know. And I think Lowry hopefully will go out there to, this afternoon in the four balls and play well and stick a point on the board and he would need to do it he would probably need to at least get a half point to go into the, the singles tomorrow with a little bit of confidence i think 10-6 is the cutoff point at the end of play this evening if europe are any further than 10-6 behind it's sayonara if they're 10-6 or better they have a chance we all know what happened in brookline in 1999 the, the americans were 10-6 down going into the singles and managed to come back to win and europe did the same in medina in 2012 under um Lazabal, miraculous recovery that was led by Ian Poulter. And there's another player who hasn't been informed is Ian Poulter. He is known as the postman. He's delivered points when Europe have made them. But yesterday, he was in abysmal, abysmal form. Himself and McElroy were five down after five holes in that opening match. And they were never, ever going to actually get the, the game back on track after that. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think form is the huge issue in this Ryder Cup. And, you know... Heart and spirit will get you only so far, but you need to be able to perform. And in my view, the players have not performed to their ability so far. Mm, more like a courier than a postman, really, in the way that uh, things have gone <laughs> slightly missing in the last uh, couple of days. Um, Dennis, I was going to ask you, actually, that, that question, what is the cutoff? Uh, but you've, you've kind of quite succinctly answered that. So um, I'll move on to my next uh, sort of side question about, you were saying, you know, the last seven, only one of the last seven uh, have, have, have taken it away from home. And, of course, as you say, that miracle in Medina, which was an unbelievable Sunday afternoon. Um what is it that makes it so difficult for visiting teams to win? We, we hear about the atmosphere, but is it about how the course is set up? Because obviously a captain has, has a much, you know, has basically kind of free reign over how the greens play, how the course plays generally. Uh, or is it more a case of that atmosphere and players not, not, not feeling quite as comfortable as they would be if they were playing on, uh, on an individual tour basis? Well, this is a Ryder Cup, Kevin, very much with the difference. And uh, partly because of the fact that you know, because of COVID, there have been very, there are very, very few Europeans out in the course. There's, you know, a smattering here and there of, of American expats, I would imagine, who um, 
see a few lads wearing tricolours and you know awfully jerseys and you know there's a few of them sprinkled around but not that many you need you need two sets of fans to provide a partisan atmosphere and uh, I just think in this case the fact that the Americans are playing so well and that there's very very few tight matches now this morning's foursomes there was a fair bit of excitement but you know the Americans are coasting along and if you've got a really really tight match like only I think only one match went to the 18th on Friday which is unusual so there hasn't been a huge amount for the crowd to shout about I've been at Ryder Cups in the past I was in Brookline in 99 the atmosphere there was vitriolic it was poisonous Mm -hmm. and it was also very, very raucous in Hazeltine in 2016. The Minnesota sports fans, they're huge sports fans, and they're very much into their sport, and they really got behind the American team. It just seems to be a little bit more genteel in, in, in Wisconsin. The people just probably are, are, are not um, as loud and as proud as they would be in other parts of the United States. But having said that, you know, their, their team are giving them plenty to shout about. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of roars and cheers all over the course yesterday when their players were doing some pretty remarkable things on the golf course. I think that's that sort of genteel atmosphere is probably something that the PGA Tour will be kind of probably relieved about given some of the vitriol that's happened on the tour itself between some of the players Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka and Brooks Kepka and a few other players spring to mind um, but uh, look uh, Dennis uh, finally I suppose um, we were I don't know how much obviously you're over there at the moment so I'm not sure how much you hear about it but um, quite a lot of complaints I suppose people unhappy with the coverage of um, the tournament thus far, um, an awful lot of you know people kind of saying that they're, they're not really showing enough of the action, and when they're showing it, they're doing this kind of split screen stuff and complaining about the sound quality, etc., etc. Now, NBC, or the the host broadcaster, Sky, are, must be taking their pictures off them. Has there been much talk around the golf course or just around the press pit about the coverage over in the UK or over in Europe, or or has it something that that you guys over there haven't really been able to, to keep track of? We're kind of living in a rarefied bubble here at the moment, Kevin. We're in a press centre where we can watch about three or four different feeds at the same time if we want, so we haven't really noticed it. One thing that I did notice with the Sky coverage yesterday certainly was that they didn't seem to show an awful lot of Shane Lowry and they didn't show an awful lot of Rory McIlroy's match. But partly, part of the reason for that was, you know, at a certain point that game was almost a foregone conclusion because uh, Harris English and Tony Fina had, had moved so far ahead uh, I will say one thing, and I, I have been involved in television down through my life. I will say one thing: I've never seen anything quite like the quality of the pictures that's coming from this place. I mean, the you know the the drone shots and the high wire cameras that they have, they're state of the art. So the pictures, and you know, Whistling Straits is a pretty spectacular place. So it's been shown off to the best of its ability. Can't comment obviously on the on the on the sound issues, etc. But all I, all I will say to you is, I think if Europe were doing a little bit better and they were leading, perhaps these issues may not be quite as big as they actually are I think people are so fed up with the the standard and quality of play of some of the Europeans that they're taking it out on Sky um, look, oh, oh, to be a producer in Sky at the moment <laughs> to be dealing with this. Um, look, uh, Dennis, thanks a million for joining us. Uh, enjoy the rest of the time uh, over stateside. Um, as you say, it's a gorgeous place to, to watch uh, professional golfers drop their stuff. Um, kind of something reminiscent of, of what we have here, even though it's lakeside as opposed to seaside. Um, just some of the kind of the link style course, which obviously a lot of people um, down these parts will be very familiar with. Um, Dennis, thanks a million for joining us. And look, let's fingers crossed that as you say we at least have a 10-6 matchup so at least there's some interest uh, going into the singles games tomorrow 
Exactly. And I, I really do genuinely hope for Padraig Harrington's sake, who is a national hero and one of the all time good guys that, you know, we don't take a drubbing. I hope if we do actually manage to, uh, if we do get beaten and, you know, I think that's looking probably likely at this stage that at least we don't get embarrassed. Sports Beat with HollywoodBets.ie, the home of Hollywood Bet Super 7, the ultimate tipping challenge. 18 plus, gamble responsibly. See gamblingcare.ie. So the beginning of the United Rugby Championship this evening sees uh, both uh, Irish or Southeast provinces in action against South African sides. Now later on we'll be hearing from uh, Munster manager Johan van Gran ahead of their game against the Sharks. But this evening uh, we start with the uh, the man behind uh, the commercial and marketing side of Leinster Rugby ahead of a, an exciting announcement that they uh, put out last week that uh, the Aviva this evening will be at 75% capacity uh, for their game against the Bulls. Kevin Quinn uh, from Leinster Rugby, Head of Commercial and Marketing. Thanks a million for joining us on Sportsbit Extra, I suppose. Look, um, you must have been delighted to get, get that word out, that 75% now at, at the Aviva Stadium, and I suppose all guns blazing, hopefully for a return to a full capacity before long. Good afternoon, Kevin. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, listen, we're, we're absolutely delighted to be able to get back to, to substantial crowds again. We really, really missed the buzz, the atmosphere. The players really missed the buzz, the atmosphere. Um, over the last well now nearly twenty months since uh, when is it March uh, that in two thousand and twenty there that we were having uh, the last people we had back into the arena so we can't wait we um, had a little taste of it um, uh, just two weeks ago when we had uh, back in the Aviva as well we had Harlequins for a pre-season friendly we had just shy of about ten thousand people of that and even at that um, the atmosphere the buzz talking to the players afterwards, they really, really enjoyed it. They they really fed off the energy. They could feel it. And, you, you know, they were funny. Some of them were saying, you know, coming into the into the Aviva at that stage, before they came out, the noise, it was like they were running out to a full Aviva. Just the, the, I suppose it was just so unique, so new to them again. And so, uh, yeah, listen, really, really looking forward to getting back tonight. Kevin, okay, it is interesting that you decided to go with that 75% because I suppose, look, the, the GA have went to went to their 50% and they were very much of the opinion that, you know, trying to manage 40,000 COVID passports coming in the gate would be would be a logistical nightmare. Um, you guys, of course, have a, a slightly less because even though 75% the Aviva wouldn't have the same capacity, of course, at Crow Park, as we all know. Um, so I suppose, how do you manage the logistics of that and and I noticed that as well it says proof of vaccination may be requested so um, yeah. the likelihood yeah. is that, that people will and I suppose how when you get to the ground can you feel kind of safe and secure in the knowledge that the person next to you has definitely done everything that they're expected to do yeah and then that's it I suppose again it comes back to that personal responsibility so you're, you're, you're spot on there in terms of any of the modelling that we would have done even for smaller attendances so whatever about you know the GA looking to have 40,000, 41,000, I think it was 700 in, in Crow Park um, to, to actually uh, scan and check vaccination certs for every single person that will come in would take over a day, right? So, uh, so that's physically impossible. But uh, through random selection and random sampling, you know, we've proven and it's been proven in other countries that um, uh, by doing a random selection sample that you can have uh, as near as, as best quality with regards to guaranteeing that everybody meets the requirements. So in that case, as you said, that we'll have loud hailers, we'll have people ready, you know, on Lansdowne Road, on the roads, as you approach, and you'll be asked to have your vaccination search ready. And if anybody has any queries to come and ask about that, 
and and to make sure and then randomly we'll be selecting people and we're saying uh, can we see your uh, your, um, uh, your your vaccination cert please and that'll be checked and then it'll be allowed to go on but with regards to uh, it's physically as you said it's physically impossible to check everybody's cert uh, and uh, and we won't be intending to do that and that it does actually meet all the guidelines that was worked out um, you know through Eamon O'Boyle the health and safety officers um, uh, Martin Murphy who is leading the charge on behalf of, uh, he's, the, he's the MD, the CEO of Aviva Stadium, but he ran that, um, that cross-code um, uh, committee between the SAI, the GAA, and the RFU to, to make sure that, you know, the response, the, the regulations, how we address getting fans into our stadium was consistent across all the, the three main um, grass team sports uh, in the country and so working very closely with the Department of Health and the uh, Department of Sport that's all been worked out to make sure that that's all above board and that's that's how we'll manage that um, later on this evening in the Viva Stadium all of the matches will be on free to air television between RTE and TG Cahar and I think that's going to be great for the audience too because you know one of the constant complaints over the last couple of years is that is that question where do I get to watch the match you know what channel is that match on um, you know they were on uh, Air Sports, which unfortunately has has um, has ceased operating, but it's you know that the Air Sports, of course, fell out with Virgin Media last year, and um, you know that meant that anybody who had uh, you know a Virgin TV at home, they couldn't even purchase the matches, let alone uh, tune into a channel. So it meant that that's three hundred and fifty thousand homes in the country that couldn't access you know regular rugby on week to week basis. So that's addressed now with this and I think that's going to be another boon for, for the competition and for rugby in general yeah and I, I didn't mind the interruption at all because or should I say the, the extra point because that was actually exactly what I was going to get to because I suppose look I asked um, you and we'll hear it in a second about that from a from a playing perspective and from getting young people into the game but from a commercial perspective surely it's less lucrative than what you would have with pay TV uh, it's well. It's less lucrative uh, in this. You know, it is and it isn't. I mean, certainly there was. Uh, the, uh, my understanding, and I wouldn't be necessarily close to the the negotiations that URC had directly with the broadcaster. But my understanding is that there potentially was more money on the table for to to, to remain exclusively um, uh, pay per view, but but it wasn't a significant enough amount of whereby uh, you know you'd have to sit back and say, oh, we really should take take that into account. So if you look at it from their point of view, from all of our point of view as stakeholders within this new competition, is that to grow the profile of the competition, the scale of the competition, um, having uh, free-to-air uh, television coverage in a similar way to, for example, say the Six Nations, um, has proven to be you know, very beneficial over the years. So this is a, a new four-year deal with RTE and TG Cahar. Um, RTE and TG Cahar have been a partner of you know, this this league competition when it was the Celtic League, the, the Pro 12, the Pro 14, um, and now uh, the United Rugby Championship uh, over all those years and have been proven to be very innovative uh, in, in how they bring their sports coverage to, to, to the masses. And uh, so that's brilliant. And RTE have massive heritage in doing very, very big sporting events and doing them really well. Look what they do with the GAA. So, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how they do that. And, and secondly, too, another interesting uh, angle, and, and you mentioned in terms of revenue, of course, is that um, between RTE and URC, they've just launched URC TV. So that's a, a streaming platform where you can uh, get access to every single match, uh, every single match on demand, uh, highlights, exclusive extended highlights, 
And that's, I think, Lord, I think it's going to cost about 120 euro a year so for the season. So you can have that anywhere, access that, uh, all of the um, matches you want. And likewise, I think there's a, uh, there's a, just an Irish package for that too. So people in the Republic can access just matches, uh, all matches in English um, for all the Irish provinces. And that costs uh, 99 for the season. So you've got a number of different options there to view it and um, that's our way of making sure as well that we try and maximise our revenue and return as well as the audience um, from a commercial point of view. Kevin, I suppose, look, it was an interesting week of news last week for the province because not only did we have the, the news of 75%, but just preceding that we had, um, I suppose, the controversy surrounding the women's interpros and, and all that that went on. Now, I know that's not really your department, but um, there's, there was talk that the IRFU were launching an investigation. I suppose, what's the word now being in, in, inside Leinster Rugby in terms of a about when we can expect to kind of get a result of this investigation and are there any kind of particular outcomes that we can expect to kind of see down the line? No, I mean, first of all, just to say that, listen, it was uh, it was just terrible what happened, really. Um, it was, you know, just seemed to boil down to a human error, a human error based on, on good instinct, I might add, in the sense that um, the, the Connacht um, uh, bagman and, and sort of the team in terms of who arrived early to set up were um, directed to an area that teams had used previously. Now, listen, because that's not in, in any way of indication of where they where they were uh, setting up. Um, but the fact that teams had used them previously, uh, and unfortunately, um, the, 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 the volunteers on the ground hadn't got the message that during the week that that area had been designated as an absolute no-go to stop teams and getting changed there. Um, and that comes back to, I suppose, two points in the background, too, is that unfortunately for um, domestic and community rugby in terms of amateur rugby was not designated an elite sport. So unfortunately, um, uh, you know, elite sports were only qualified were under the GAA championship and matches and professional soccer and professional rugby. And so because uh, women's rugby as a such wasn't designated an elite sport, they couldn't use the, the dressing rooms unlike uh, our, you know, our counterparts in Camogie who were down in Crow Park and could use the dressing rooms because it was designated lead. So that's, uh, I suppose, how the situation came about. Uh, listen, it was just a terrible situation. Um, and, uh, you know, I can assure you in terms of um, for whatever Leinster Rugby's involvement was in that, that uh, every effort to make sure that that absolutely never happens again. Sports Beat with HollywoodBets.ie Bringing the sports stars to you 18 plus Gamble responsibly See GamblingCare.ie And also kicking off their campaign A home to South African opposition are Munster Who also welcomed the return of the Red Army to Thoman Park In just a few minutes time Head coach and fellow Zafa Johan van Graan Understands tonight's opposition better than most And he said his side are rearing to go For the challenge of the Cells She Sharks yeah, you know, a very proud um, uh, South African uh, franchise. Um, you know, they've had a, a really good season. They, uh, they alongside the Bulls, played in, in the last few Curry Cup finals. Uh, both were, were unfortunately away for them. Uh, very t- tough to beat at home, specifically in the, in the humid conditions of, of Durban. And, you know, they've uh, put together a, a very good squad. Um, you know, uh, Excellent head coach in, in Sean Everett. Um, you know, they, they've got structurally a, a very good program. If you look at the, the Sharks Youth Academy and you now they've got uh, uh, some proper players. So um, really looking forward to, to meet them first up in, in which will be a, a first game up north for, for them. 
as well. And uh, no, uh, a lot of respect from my side to, towards them. Yeah, look, we can't wait to to have our, our fans back from a, a proper match in the in the red versus grey game. We we had uh, you know a, a few thousand supporters in, and and just the noise was incredible. And uh, and just when when both teams ran onto the field to to actually experience it, uh, the the away game at Exeter was brilliant to to have around ten thousand people in and. And I believe from a, the whatever capacity we have on the weekend, um, you know, I believe that all the tickets will go quickly in the next few days. And you know, from a club point of view, we, we love to play at Thurman Park, and um, you know, we, we can't wait to play in front of our supporters from a from a competitive point of view. And that'll be great for for not only uh, the opposition that we play, but also for ourselves to experience the. Old Thurman Park um, feeling, stand up and fight, and uh, like I said, really looking forward to it. Um, you want some uh, speculation that you're close to signing a new contract. Um, are you close to signing a new contract? I should know. Um, I'm not going to speculate over the media uh, about my contract. Obviously, I'm in, in the last season of, of my contract, and all focus on, on the season ahead, and, and we've got a game ahead. and. Um, uh, really enjoying my time at Munster, um, you know, really enjoying the club, and uh, just focused on the weekend. From your from your own point of view, you're starting your your fourth full season with Munster, kind of fifth fifth season if you include that that half season at the start as well. How would you assess the the progress you've made in that time? Oh look, Neil. Um, obviously, I've I've been here a few years uh, and experience that that I've enjoyed, and you know. Um, you know, we we have a lot of stability currently at Munster, something that we that we haven't had for a for a while. And if we look back at, at last season only, you know, each season follows on to uh, a new one. And we reviewed that we won 80% of our games. You know, we won 10 out of 12 uh, away games and 10 out of 13 uh, games at home. The disappointing thing was losing to Leinster in in that final. Um, you know, and and. It'll take some doing to get into a final again. You know, we lost against uh, to lose the eventual champions in, in the Champions Cup. So, you know, uh, for us, if, if we can get to that 80% mark again, which is, uh, if you look in world sport, a, a pretty good achievement. I guess the next step for us is is to go and win a final. But that's a long way from our minds. It's only about round one in the United Rugby Championship. And you know, the Champions Cup will, will follow, follow on in, in December. And... You know, uh, what you do throughout the season, you know, needs to prepare you to to get into a knockout game and every team starts on zero again. And uh, like I said, from a United Rugby Championship, the fact that there's four pools and, uh, you know, only the top guy goes through to the Champions Cup and to the playoffs and then the next four teams is, is whoever's the best from the next 12. So really challenging season ahead. And like I said before, uh, our only focus is this weekend on the Sharks. We're starting at home. Very unknown for for both teams and uh, for for everybody involved, and uh, we see it as really exciting, really challenging. And finally, for me, um, fifty twenty two and a few of the other new rules that have come in or, or law variations, rather. Um, how much planning and how much uh, does that affect your planning during the season? Is it something that, that that you can put too much thought into? How have you approached it, or is it something that you're just taking in stride? Look, Tom. It's it's something that we looked at. Obviously, when the when the law changes came in, um, we looked closely at you know what happened uh, with, with other teams. If you look at the test matches over the weekend, sometimes you get one or two opportunities. Uh, a game like the to lose the long game a few weeks ago, one team got quite a few opportunities. So, 
kind of see you know how much teams use it. If you look at our defensive system, um, you know we I feel we cover the backfield pretty well. So you know it, it's about how teams will manipulate you to to get that opportunity. And you know in in your play specifically in that that area around the twenty two. And the halfway line, um, you know, when you exit, you know, between 80 and and 50 yards away, you've got to make sure that you try and manipulate the defense to to get that line out in the 22. You know, we're not going to overthink it if the opportunity presents itself and and you know the the backfield opens up. It's certainly something that we'll we'll look at because it's it's a big swing in a game. Um, you know, t- teams could slow it down and, and exit again. Whereas if you get a 50-22 now. You're straight on the attack again. On the opposite side of it, uh, if you concede that um, you, it's it's like conceding a penalty, uh, and you're you're into your power zone that you that you've got to defend. So, looking forward to it. Uh, see how it evolves. Um, uh, to your point, we're not going to overthink it, uh, but we've planned well for it, I believe. Hi, Ewan. Uh, Kevin Galvin here from Beat. I suppose I just wanted to ask you particularly about Jack O'Donoghue, who he captained against Exeter um, a few weeks ago. And I suppose, how likely do you think he is or, or where what a position is he to be potentially permanent club captain of Monster Rugby in the future? Beat's our, our club captain and he's done a terrific job in that. Jack has developed as a, as a leader. Um, you know, a few years ago, I made Jack captain for the first game uh, away against Cardiff and He's captained the the side um, uh, very well uh, over the last few years. Obviously, we had uh, CJ Stunder and Billy Holland and Tommy O'Donnell, um, you know, that that were captains at stages, and all three of those gentlemen retired. So, um, you know, huge role for Jack and something that he's done exceptionally well. Uh, he led the team uh, very well against Exeter. And, now Jack's got big aspirations, not only from a leadership point of view, but also from a playing point of view. Is one of those very few lads that are very well equipped to play six, seven, and eight. Um, he's worked on his line-out calling, so he's such a vital part of our squad. And uh, you know, hopefully, he can remain fit, and uh, you know, hopefully, he'll, he'll contribute very well for the season ahead. Mm, and I suppose, look at speaking of potential future jacks down the road and this new free-to-air deal that's been announced. I suppose you know it's great for more and more people to see the game, to be able to see the United Rugby Championship across TV screens, and potentially kind of you know open up the game to to new young talent coming in. Yeah, Kevin, look, that's that's incredibly important. Uh, no, we all we all are in this game because we love it. Um, you know, and, uh, if you just look back at at the the World Cup two years ago, what what that meant for a a new audience, and uh, it's important that we expand our audiences and for as much as possible people to see it. And you know, um, it's it's great that that more people can see it, and uh, hopefully the competition lives up to the expectation, which I'm sure it will. And um, no, I'm sure there'll be uh, a few big uh, rivalries developing between the North and the South specifically over the next few years. Sports Beat with HollywoodBets.ie, the home of Hollywood Bets Super 7, the ultimate tipping challenge. 18 plus, gamble responsibly. See gamblingcare.ie. So that's all from this week's Sports Beat Extra. Remember, you can listen to this and every other episode by visiting beat102103.com and heading to the podcast section. But up next is Megan with Beat Anthems. <laughs> 